Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. We've got a very, very special guest on the show today. We've got True Alliance CEO David Smith talking to us today about a bunch of different things. And I really enjoyed chopping it up with David and talking about a few different topics. But a few things stood out for me, and one of those was what a typical day looks like for David and what he goes through on a daily basis. Another thing was the importance of goal setting and where he sees value in that. So that was interesting to hear about his thoughts on that. But I guess one of the other points was how he feels that we should be moving forward as a company, being a competitive marketplace, how we're staying on the front foot leading into the future. So have a listen, enjoy, and please share any feedback that you might have with me. I'd love to hear you, hear from you. Good mate, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Very good. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. That's all right. It's very nice honored to have you as a special guest on our podcast today. Nice thing to do on a beautiful sunny morning in Sydney. That's what I like to hear. Mate, we'll get straight into it. Um, again, going on the podcast, for the people that don't know too much about yourself, um, maybe give us a bit of background about what you probably did before TA, when you started TA, and, and maybe the, the, the various roles you've had within, within TA. Sure. So I, I, I didn't go to university. I started when I was 17 working um, in a shoe shop in, in London in Brompton Road next to Harrods. And I guess that was probably the best university that I could have gone to because it taught me a lot about life, um, living away from home, uh, how people work. And yeah, it taught me a whole bunch about, about work. And many of the things that I learned back then, I use in my career now. Um, emotional intelligence, I guess, is the key one for that. So I pretty much worked yeah. my way up through that organization. They asked me if I wanted to join the, um, their graduate training program, even though I wasn't a graduate. And I guess it gave me a couple of years or three or four years head start and all of those guys that did go to uni. Um, yeah. So then I got, a, I got a management role with them and I worked with that company for close to 16 years. And wow. When I left, uh, it's a company called Bally, a shoe, a Swiss shoe company. And when I left, I was uh, in Switzerland uh, and responsible for four divisions of the company. I had European, the whole Europe wholesale division reported to me. Um, then global duty free uh, sales reported to me. And then I had a, uh, a division called New and Developing Markets, which <laughs> shows you how old I am because it was Eastern, it was Eastern Europe um, and Latin America uh, and Africa, which were basically, you know, what, what they called New and Developing Markets. Wow. Um, and then the other one I had to look after was merchandise. The, there was a advertising function um, for, for non-retail. Yeah, four divisions reported wow. into me. Uh, it was a big business. I traveled the world extensively with that role, and I loved it. And the only reason I left, really, was because they were bought by a private equity company. And um, I, you know, when you work for a company and have a culture and a, a private equity company comes in and effectively just wants to, to focus on the bottom line and cut costs, it, it was really against the culture that I had you know, wanted to, to work within that organization. So yeah. um, I was headhunted uh, by the Louis Vuitton group um, mm -hmm. uh, at that time. Um, ah. And my wife was seven months pregnant when we moved to Australia to work for... Wow. <laughs> to Australia to work for DFS, the big duty-free um, yeah. group. 
And that, in that role, I was uh, director of merchandising and planning. Um, we moved to Australia. We didn't know anyone. We, we had a baby. Uh, I had a new job. We had to find a new house. So we pretty much put every single stressful thing in, <laughs> on the planet <laughs> in, one, in one go. <laughs> but again, wow. you know, in hindsight, it was a pretty, pretty either crazy or brave move on, on behalf of my wife and I to, to move here. But anyway, that job lasted. Um, that was in 99 and I, it lasted until 2001. After the uh, September the 11th um, bombings in uh, in the in the US, the, the global yeah. the global duty free market pretty much collapsed, and yeah, um, uh, along with probably three two three hundred others, were made redundant from um, from DFS. Wow! In hindsight, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because I didn't like the job uh, anyway. And then, um, so was it duty free that brought you down to, yeah, to Australia, or was it just because you wanted to like change your lifestyle? Well, I didn't want to have the baby in Switzerland. Switzerland's a great country, but um, you know, foreign language uh, is really hard to assimilate into the culture over there. So yeah. we either wanted to move to back to the UK, to the US, or to to Australia, and uh, the opportunity came up in Australia. So um, great, yeah, we ended up here. And then True Alliance happened uh, nearly 18 years ago. And, and it's a funny story, which I think everyone will enjoy. Yeah. So basically, I applied for a job which was in the newspaper, which the handlers had put in the newspaper, which, which was for an apparel manager. And I thought, I don't know, the, the brands were really weird. It was Reebok, Rockport, DKNY, and... Uh, that that I think was pretty much it back then. Was Greg Norman golf then? Uh, no, the Greg Norman had gone. Uh, right. So anyway, I met. You know, I thought. You know what? Sounds like a, a strange company with that mix of um, brands. But anyway, I applied, and sure enough, you know, met um, Gary and Gary and I chatted for about two hours um and after after about the first five minutes i realized that the job was you know it was too junior and it really wasn't the kind of job that i wanted anyway yeah but had a fantastic chat with gary we talked about you know just everything really and then the headhunter called me about a week later and said they want you to come back for a second interview and i said i don't i don't want the job so <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I, think, I think you should meet the other, the other brother. At that time, Michael was living overseas. Michael. So yeah. this was actually David that I met. So I met with David and Gary. And again, we chatted probably for uh, two, two hours nonstop about just, you know, business and aspirations. And they told me a bit about what they, were, what they had built in terms of this platform here. Yeah, and I said, look, you know, if you're ever looking for a general manager or or you know somebody to come in and, and help you build the branded business, then I'd be delighted to do that. And that's what happened. They just before Christmas, um, two thousand and uh, two thousand actually, December two thousand, they offered me a job, and I started in January two thousand and one, and that's. 17 and a bit years ago now so wow so really i've only had if you actually look at it talking about my career i've actually really had two main jobs yeah two alliance for close to 18 years and the the, the stint at valley for sort of close to 15 years so yeah my whole career has really been uh, looking for two companies which is great because a lot of people they bounce around from job to job so just one it shows 
either one, you're really enjoying both companies, but two, it also kind of shows loyalty as well, which is, uh, it sounds like a trait of yours, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know what, I think as long as you're learning and as long as you're developing and as long as you're enjoying what you're doing, you can stay with a company for as long as, as long as that survives. As soon as you start, as soon as you start feeling like you've reached the ceiling, then you either need to talk to the company about what you can do or you need to move on. And, and both with Bally and in True Alliance, I've never had that feeling because I was able to, to grow through the career in Bally. And with True Alliance, there's always something interesting, exciting happening. And you can, all, and you can still see your passion to this day. Like every time we have a, like a catch-up or we have like a, um, a team meeting, you can just still see the passion coming through and just anything that you do, and whether it be product, whether it be people, whether it just be, the company itself so it's something we love to see and as as a as a staff member as well it's great to see a ceo like that as well that's really embedded within the brand and with the not just the brand but the product and and also the people more importantly Mm -hmm. which is great so so thank you for that mate so with a lot of things as well everyone's busy in their day-to-day jobs i mean as we are in either in sales or marketing and design wherever it be what what would a typical day look like for you? I can imagine you're spinning a lot of plates. So how would you sort of, what would a, a general day be like for you? You're going from, you're probably bouncing from one meeting to another, I can imagine. You know, it's really funny. Um, I, I can't actually answer that question because there isn't a typical day. Um, you know, I, my job is, I, I once described my job to someone as a snowplow for bullshit. And yeah. I actually think up, um, I see my job as, uh, well, a number of things, but but just on a day-to-day basis, is making sure that the bullshit is cleared away so that everyone in the organization has the freedom and the autonomy to do the best they can do. Whether that be, you know, pseudo-politics, whether that be operational issues, whether that be systems issues, um, customer issues, personnel issues, it, it, you know, it's, it's really about stepping in and, and, and nipping them in the bud and, and allowing people to get on with their job. So a lot of what I do day to day revolves around that. And, you know, the phone could ring or an email could pop onto my desk, which, you know, stimulates one of those things that I need to do. So that's mm. a lot of what I do on a, on a day to day basis. The other stuff, yeah, wow. the other stuff is the is the formal stuff, which is the more, you know, the 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 meetings, the budget meetings, the board meetings, the stock process meetings, the merchandise meetings, the buying meetings, you know, those those are uh, constant and um, regulated, and we I know they're coming and we have to plan for them, but you know, there's a lot of them, particularly mm. at this time of year with the budget the budget process coming on on stream. And then the other thing that's really CEO to do, and I and I think it's it's actually super important for everybody to do, is actually to take time in the day and in your job in general to sit back and actually think about what's coming and how could you do things differently or what is the latest innovation or how do I approach that in a different in a different way um, so that you know, when these meetings come, you're going to go to them, not just thinking in straight lines, you're actually going to the meeting pre-prepared with, a, with an idea or a concept or a way of thinking um, that hopefully generates 
revenue or you know improves a system or a process so you know that's the kind of stuff that that happens on a day-to-day -day basis and then I try also to keep in touch with customers, with people in the industry. So, you know, I had lunch with the, the CEO of General Pants the other day. I caught up with mm. Erica Bershold, who's now at, at, at the CEO at the Iconic. Um, I have telephone calls with our brand principals overseas, email exchanges. So, yeah, that, that's what I would say was the focus of my day. It's really dependent on what comes across my desk rather than a, a, a standard day a that, that yeah. someone would have. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And there's so many spin-off questions from that. I mean, the, your first point was you, you sort of you brush away side the bullshit. And I guess a question mm. for that is, what would you say a good tip would be to not sweat the small stuff? We get a lot. Sometimes we kind of get caught up in the small bullshit or the small stuff yeah. that we don't quite see the big picture. How do we not? What's it? What would you say a good tip would be not to get caught up or not sweat the small stuff? I guess you could say. Is it that you need to ask yourself a question? Is it adding value and is it making me or somebody else productive? Mm. That's the simple thing. If, if it's not, then it, it's, it's either bullshit or just a job that just needs to get done and get out of the way. As for sweating it, you're probably asking the wrong person. I, I, one of my faults is that I have to fight constantly about not sweating the small stuff. Um, you know, I, I do get hung up on things sometimes that I, that, that I shouldn't. And the way that I've learned to, to, to do it over the years is just to actually walk away um, for, as, for as long as you could possibly from that situation so that you can go back to do what I just said earlier. You can think laterally, mm. um, you think it through, you can take time to actually come up with turning something which is potentially a problem into either an opportunity or, or a solution. But yeah... I think it's about planning and about making sure that you've got goals set and knowing where you're going, what direction you're going in, and not really allowing all of those small stuff, the bullshit, to get in mm. the way. Mm. That, that's really how I would do it. But you know what? I would be lying to you if I told you that I didn't sweat the small stuff <laughs> sometimes. You know, we all do. And mm. Perhaps part of the issue is that we all feel bad about sweating it, but you know what? It's part of being a human. You, you, you do it. It's about how you cope with it and how you get it. And my advice would be to think it and think about how you turn it into an opportunity um, rather than, than a problem. Yeah, and you're right. And I think, I think sometimes we can get caught up in it emotionally as opposed to thinking about it um, Oh, what's another word for it? I guess another word we're trying to do is like systematically or like logically, I guess is probably another good way to look at things. Sometimes we're You're so totally deep right. it, we get caught you in our own little circle. Mm. You, get, you get emotional about stuff and you, you know, you, you take it personally. Um, we're not curing Which, cancer. No, we're, we're, we're selling stuff. We're, we're, we're actually out there selling stuff that in most cases people don't need. It's, it's mm. not curing cancer. And I, and I think you need to go you know hug your partner and smell the roses as i always say to to my mm. team and, and just think you know what i'll get through but yeah my, my point is more that every problem needs to be through mm. logically and strategically and then and with honesty um and and then go ahead and fix it and move on and, and, and put it behind you yeah, you're right. And sometimes, I guess sometimes emotion comes down to passion. Like some people are just so passionate about what they're doing. They just, they get that connection emotionally as well. Sometimes they just need to be, just need to sort of take a step back, 
just sort of analyze it and sort of recheck yeah. and then and then move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the, so. The spin off from that you mentioned a few times in there is is quite an important thing. I I personally as well think is is goal setting. How, how important is goal setting to you? <laughs> I am one of these people who has to have um, <clears throat> process and system and goals, or I I don't I, I can't succeed. Mm. And what I like to do, excuse me, <clears throat> what I like to do with, with everything is make sure that whoever you're managing and whatever business you're running, everybody in that organization knows that they're failing or succeeding themselves. You mm. never should have to tell someone that they're failing or they're succeeding because the the set and KPIs that, that are given to people should be so clear that they self-manage. Mm. And I, I absolutely think that that is one of the key successes of True Alliance as a company in, is in that we have a very clear system and process of managing everything. There is a process and a system and KPIs for all, everything that we do within True Alliance. So it means that, as an example, you know, statistics would say that a CEO shouldn't have more than six people reporting to them. I think mm. I've got, I think I've got fourteen or sixteen people reporting <laughs> to me. The the reason we're able to do that is because those managers are able to to self manage and self regulate. Mm. They they set the strategy and the goals with with myself and Ronnie. Uh, in advance, we all agree to those goals. We know what the KPIs are. So then really all what it's all about is gas. Am I meeting that goal? What am I going to do about it? Put a mm. plan together, present the plan. Am I hitting that goal? Yes. Okay, how am I going to make it bigger and better and even more um, successful for, for the business? Those are the discussions that we should be having. If they are, if somebody is not achieving the goals, or and I'm not achieving the goals, then what you need to sit down and do is say, okay, why am I not achieving those goals? And come up with a new set of plans, or even a new goal if the goal was unachievable. Mm. Come up with a set of plans of how you're going to hit the, the, the goal. You know, I would call them remedial plans, or own up to the fact that the goal that was set was unachievable in the first place and then mm. set a remedial plan on how you're going to get the next best thing. So that the goal setting for me, uh, and more importantly, the process to achieve the goals is, I believe, the critical success factor for True Alliance. And if you ask um, all of the brand managers and, uh, and, and people within the, the, this organization, I think that they would all know exactly where they're going um, what their goals are, what their KPIs are, and that they're able really to self-manage that. Mm, absolutely. And you're 100% right. And what I try and do is also take that into, for example, we're a wholesale company or wholesale business. We deal with a lot of retailers. For example, I work for Speedo, so I deal a lot of aquatic centers. are not really retail orientated. They're more about mm. sign-ups and getting memberships and everything else. So it, what we've created as well, within the Speedo team is a thing called a playbook. And I guess that's like setting goals for ourselves. Okay, every month we achieve, we want to achieve yep. the X goal, X, Y, Z goal. So it's not only, I guess, with internal that we have our own goals, it's also how do we also then drive our customer's business 
by offering that little bit more. And for me, it's been it's it's been really successful because companies are seeing, well, businesses in particular, aquatic centres, whoever, are seeing that we actually take passion in their brand and in yeah. their business. But not we're not coming to them saying we're not only coming to them saying here we've got some product to, for you to buy. We're actually talking about how do we create sale through structure? How do we you know, what's our recovery plans, what's our selling, everything like that, as opposed to saying, here's another Speedo goggle, please buy it, rather mm-hmm. than giving them, okay, here's a plan we want to do. So I guess that's another version of goal setting, which we can then also use with our with our retailers. So it's just as important as it internally, I think, as it is externally with our with our retail partners. So uh, I agree. Now you're 100%. Same. Yeah. And so with that as well, so I guess with, with, um, with goal setting comes success. Sometimes not always success, but what? How would you? What would you say? What would you say? What does success look like to you? Success to me looks like um, you execute a plan. It comes. It comes together, and everybody involved in that plan has enjoyed it, has been, has learned something from it, and the results are there for both. In our game, it's generally a plan about selling something or, or, or creating profit. And, and for me, what's most important is that it's a win-win for everybody. The customer wins, True Alliance wins, our brand principal wins, and the people involved in the project win. So if, if I take an example, um, you know, when we, when we launch a new brand, um, we've had some successes and we've had some failures. But mm-hmm. If I, if I look at the, the Lacoste business as an example, it's heading to be one of, or the biggest um, brand in, in, in True Alliance with double digit growth uh, every year for the last several years. Oh, and wow. to, to, me that's, um, to me, that's what success looks like. I've got a brand mm. principal who's delighted with the fact that True Alliance have grown the business so much. I have customers who are delighted with the with the product, and, uh, and, and, and I'm talking now about our wholesale customers, and then we have end consumers who, who love what they see because we've been able to bring a good quality product at the appropriate price. Mm. Then I have an internal team who are, you know, filing, firing on all cylinders, enjoying what we do, um, and, and make, making a difference, which therefore means that we have shareholders who, who are happy with the business. So for me, Success actually is when everyone else is happy. <laughs> when, when, when everyone else is happy, I can kind of sneak off in the background and, and have a bit of a smile to myself and say, "You know what? You did. You did a not a bad job." Then um, you did okay. And, and you, you did. You did all right. And, you know, and and for those of you out there that's listening to this who have got kids, it's exactly the same thing with your kids. You know, you you, you facilitate their success, and then when they achieve, whether that academically sport uh, play uh, whatever um, you know you, you have a little smile to yourself and, and, and you go you know what I did a good job so life, life in general for me success is about um, what does it look like it looks like a whole bunch of happy healthy prof- people who are who are happy with what they've succeeded in that's what success looks like for me you're absolutely right, mate. That's a fantastic answer. And it is kind of funny how you related to back to your kids because sometimes the brands can, but your kids, you see them grow, develop and grow and <laughs> yeah. you nurture them and you put so much effort into them. Believe me, you do. <laughs> and then you have some, 
have some that are not so good. Like, you know, we've, we've had the skin situation, which I guess is a, a situation beyond our control. Um, but, you know, it's nevertheless frustrating when you have a lot of time and energy to, into a business and then uh, through no fault of any true alliance, you know, that business goes into a difficult period with going into bankruptcy in, mm. in, in Europe. So you, you have your successes, your failures, but the key point with everything in life is you have to learn from both the successes and the failures. You can't just, mm. you, you can't just ignore those failures because they will enhance what you do in the future because you'll learn something from them. Uh, that, that's uh, Absolutely. Everything's a win-win. Like you, you, you know, something that doesn't quite work out well, like you've, you've learned something from it. If something did work well again, you've learned something from it. So, I hope that spins so. quite often nicely to the next question I'm going to ask. And you talked about making sure, like trying to make brands successful. And I'm guessing we've got a, an amazing stable of brands within the Alliance business. You must see a lot of brands coming across your table to, to, to be picked up. How do mm. you, how do you um, select or decide who is, I guess, in commas, lucky enough to be with part of the True Alliance family? Yeah, there's a number of factors. Um, number one, the, potential within the Australian New Zealand markets for me you know I I can look at a brand um, and because I know both the Australia and New Zealand markets well you have a bit of a sense as to whether that brand would potentially be successful and there's a couple of success factors in our that are unique to Australia and New Zealand and one is the size of our population so as an example, you know, it's relatively easy in a country like the U.S. with 360 million people to get some success and some revenue with a brand. But when you've only got, you know, a total of 29 million people in, in Australia and New Zealand, you've got to be really careful with which brands you pick. And I like to say that they need to be broad enough to be 16 to 60. And what I mean by that is you need to be able to get um, a demographic um, which is very broad. So if I take um, Speedo as an example, you know, it's, it's perfect because you can go all the way from tiny babies all the way through to grandparents and, you mm. know, they can all wear Speedo. Yeah. But in a fashion example, if I take a brand like Nordica, Nordica is an interesting one because we have a, a really large following with, with a sort of 18, <clears throat> 18 to 20, 20 year old um, kid. Mm. But then we also have a middle aged um, you know, man and woman buying it in, in David Jones. Mm. So, you know, looking at the demography of the two countries, looking at how that fits from a brand perspective um, is one. The second one um, is arithmetic. You know, I pretty much cut to the chase pretty quickly with the with these um, brands when they come to us. And basically, there is a set of arithmetic related to margin and cost structure that I pretty much know off my, you know, off the top of my head, because you kind of know how much margin you need in retail to make a business work in Australia. And you pretty much know how much you need in, in wholesale to, to, to make it work. And I'm pretty blunt with these brands and just say, look, if we can't achieve the arithmetic, if you can't sell me product X at this price in order for me to achieve the following margins, then there's actually no point in us having this. Um, mm. And sometimes that because it's like, well, you know, you're putting the horse before the cart, the cart before the horse and, and asking questions mm. about arithmetic. Um, well, no, I, there's no point in me even wasting my time 
and you wasting your time with us if you can't meet those criteria. So yes, the first port of call is to assess the viability of the brand. If people know it, would it resonate with a New Zealand customer? Does it have a broad enough demographic? Is the price point correct? What is the, the, the global positioning of the brand? Diligence needs to be done. Mm. Then the next question that I ask would be the arithmetic one. And the next one I ask is more about how they're set up because they could be the best brand in the world and have an amazing product and an amazing price structure. And the product could be very desirable for the Australian New Zealand customer. But if they're not very good at the back end of things, then there's no point in us dealing with them. Can, mm. they, give us a, can they give us a sample set and, and four weeks to sell it? You know, um, mm. what is their marketing? What is their marketing like? Um, how do their shipments work? Are their shipments going to be on time? Um, what are their human uh, rights standards? You know, are they, mm. are they using the right type of factories? So those are the kind of, the, I would say, the three stages. Number one would be an assessment based on my knowledge of the market. Number two would be arithmetic. And number three would be whether they're actually capable of, of, of managing a, a distribution business at the other side of the world with us. Yeah, fantastic. That's a great way to analyze everything as well. It's just a, it makes common sense as well. I mean, sometimes they get, some people get um, an awe of a brand, but not actually thinking about the back, the back end of it, like you've just explained. And I guess that's probably more critical than anything else. And also, does it fit within our culture? Yeah, you know, you know th th that's right. There's, there's a number of brands that, you, you know, that have come across my desk, and I just look at them and go, you know, it, there's a couple of ticks in, in, in the right boxes, but then there's a big red, big red dot in another one that just puts me, uh, puts me. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. And, but, but mm. they do, they do come across my desk. I would say, you know, every month or so somebody calls or sends an email and, and you have to then start that due diligence, which sometimes can be a complete waste of my time. Um, mm. And other times turns into something like Madewell and J Crew, which you know we're launching in July, which will be, I'm sure, a big success. Wow, fantastic! That's great, mate. And so with that as well, like as we get more and more brands coming on board, there's a lot more competition out there. The retail landscape is is constantly changing. So how do we, as TA, I guess, keep on the front foot, and where do you see opportunity going forward? I go back to the point that I made about systems, processes, goals, and um, goal setting. We know our stuff so well that we, when we look at expanding in retail stores, as an example, we have such a robust due diligence process, and we now have, you know, history of 60 plus stores plus another 30 tapestry stores. We pretty much know whether a store is going to be successful and we set uh, very high benchmarks in terms of what the profitability and the sales would need to be so we pretty much make sure before we go into to retail that that, that that we can be successful from a wholesale perspective it's about um, the, the the integrity history and uh, of the brands you know we have amazing brands in our stable and you can buy a polo shirt from H&M for I'm guessing you know 29 bucks or may maybe even less but mm. you can't buy a polo shirt with a crocodile on it 
and you can't buy a polo shirt with a with a, a J class yacht on it. Mm. The only place you can buy those in Australia is from True Alliance. Mm. If you can buy jeans in a you know at any price, basically from ten bucks all the way up to several hundred dollars, but you can only buy Lee jeans and Wrangler jeans from True Alliance. Mm. So for us, the safety net that we have, and that's how we. I guess, keep ahead of the competition is that we make sure that manage our brands and, and nurture and, and look after our brands so that when the customer is out there making a choice, yes, they can buy the $29 um, jeans from, from H&M, but they would aspire to buy a branded jean like Lee or Wrangler. So mm. I think the third thing would be um, our systems and processes in terms of, you know, making that our inventories are under control, that we are frugal in terms of how we, we spend money, uh, we keep our costs under control, so that even although we have thin margins, we can exploit the back office of True Alliance and spread it across all the multiple brands. And then the final example I would give would be investment. We're investing in Salesforce um, e-commerce cloud and the, the Salesforce marketing cloud, you guys are going to be blown right. away when you see these new websites, which, which, which we're going to be launching next month with three or four of our brands and then all of our brands on board by October. They are, wow. going, to, they are going to change. It's going to be a game changer for, for True Alliance from an, from an e-commerce perspective. So investment, um, doing your due diligence, that you, the brands that we have in our stable are iconic and desirable and that the product stands up to scrutiny. I would say that's how we'll, we'll keep ahead of the game in this market. Fantastic. I love that plan. And everything sounds, sounds exciting, especially so like you say, things like the Salesforce coming out. Just, we've got to move with the times and it sounds exactly like what we're doing, so, which, is, which is great. And then on the wholesale side, that what's really important also to know is that the, the next cab off the rank um, is actually looking at a B2B solution. Um, we, we've been guilty of uh, not keeping up with, with the market in terms of our, our processes and, and tools, I guess, for wholesale. Um, we've invested some, some, some time and energy with Tash, preparing uh, a lot of reports which now go automatically out to the sales team. The next cab of the rank is to work with someone like sales Uh, a new platform for, for the wholesale team so that it's yeah. state-of-the-art. That's great. Uh, exciting times. Can't wait. That's going to be a fantastic game-changer. <laughs> yeah, and so with that as well, I mean, you touched on it before, on, on a moment before we talked about our kids, <laughs> as the brains being our kids. So how do, you, how do you divide the two? Sometimes it's hard, for example... You have a stressful day. I mean, particularly, I can imagine yourself, you've got a lot of demands coming your way and, and your role could be probably quite stressful. How do you manage between work and family? How do you maintain that balance? Um, I made a decision a long time ago that, that, I, that my family and my life is number one and that work is number two. Um, and, and I would say that everyone in, in, in business should, should do that. But the only reason you work is to support your family and, and grow and nurture your family. So you have, to mm. you have to remember that. 
Um, I am a gym junkie. I go seven or eight times a week to the gym. Wow. Um, I guess that's, that's also, great. That, I guess that's also my my guilty pleasure in terms of my time. Um, I work with a personal trainer. And it's done a number of things, and, and, I, and, and, and I'm going to combi- combine these things together. So what it does is it allows me a separation from before I, after I leave my family and come to work in the morning, there is an hour or 45 minutes where I'm in the gym um, and I, I, have a, I'm allowed, I work out, I, I sweat, I do whatever I need to do, and then I go to the office. Mm. And then most evenings I leave the office and I also go to the gym and do a class or, you know, work out with my trainer or whatever. And that allows to process and get out any um, stuff that's going on in my head related to stress at work. So Mm. that when I, when I get home, um, I'm exhausted, (laughs) Um, Mm. but the, the, the workout has, 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 you know, allowed me to process any issues that, that I'm related to from a stress perspective. So that's how I, um, I use that as a vehicle, I guess, to, 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 to help with, with any stress. Um, and then I can switch off. Uh, I'm physically tired, so therefore I switch off when I get home and it's family time. Yeah, and a lot of people do that. I'm, I'm, I must admit I'm the same. And it sounds like you use exercise, not so much just from, for a physical aspect, but more from a mental aspect, just to wash, I guess you can call it. It's like, I like to refer it to as like if you're diving into a pool of water, that 100%. feeling you get, you know, when you just feels like, ah, oh, that feels so much better after a workout or diving into a pool of water, you just feel so much better for it. And hundred percent. And I think that yeah. can be anything in life. You know, I would encourage everyone to, to find a passion, whether that's, you know, singing in a choir or, or, or doing sport or some kind of charity work or, or a hobby of, of some description. Um, you, you really have to have that balance and, and life and make time to mm. mentally and physically. Um, you know, people in this organization are no use to the organization if they're burnt out or they're stressed or they're unhappy. Um, I, I would, I'd much rather that they took the time to look after their mental health and their physical health uh because when you're healthy and happy you're much more productive and you'll have seen all the work that we've done in in true alliance with that regard uh you know mental health month um Mm. those kind of initiatives that we're that that we're putting together and you know those are really close to my heart and i'm super passionate about them um because for me that it's also going back to that that point that i made right at the start about being a a snowplow for bullshit Mm. You know, we should we should be sweeping all of that um, that away before we leave. And one little tip that I'll give to everybody, which I think is super important, is that we talked earlier about goals and goal setting. Mm. The last thing that 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 people should do, or sorry, what they should they should definitely not do, is at their to do list before they leave the office at night and tick off what they've done and look at what they've still got to do. Make sure that you do that in the morning and you do not do that in the afternoon. Mm. Because psychologically, you're actually leaving the office thinking about all of the things that you haven't done. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. So best thing to do is not to look at that list 
come in fresh in the morning, look at your list and decide what you're going to tackle today and what's the most productive. But I, I, I've given this piece of advice to, to a number of managers over the years and the smiles on their faces a couple of weeks later when they've come back and gone, you know what, I didn't actually realize the stress that I was putting on myself psychologically just by that one thing of looking at my to-do list and saying, ah, I didn't do that today. What you should be saying is leaving the office saying, wow, this is what I did today. And is that, that, that's what I want everyone to do. I'm nodding my head furiously over here because I know exactly what you mean. I do the same thing. So I have, I have my to-do list. I have, I've got five key, key, to, um, for key goals or tasks that I need to achieve for the day. Everything else is probably really probably irrelevant in terms of what's mm. important for the day. We talk about goal setting. And the joy, I used to sometimes, I used to put it in my phone. I used to type it in my phone or just put it on my computer. But I noticed that writing it down on pen and paper and once you achieve that goal, just the feeling of putting a line through something or ticking it off is actually, actually a rewarding feeling. It feels you know, like, yeah, I've done that one. So you feel like you're achieving something. And I call it owning the day. Yeah. You, you know, you own the day by if you achieve those five goals that, are, that you've written down. And it could be for business. It could be for pleasure. It could be for financial, sure. whatever it be. As long as you're check, ticking those lists off, you're moving forward. And and don't beat yourself up if you didn't really, if you didn't quite, like if I have five, if I achieve four, I don't really beat myself up for it. I'll make sure I do that fifth one. That's my priority tomorrow. And so the yeah. importance, I think, of goal setting is, I reckon, underrated. Like, And just writing something down and putting a line through it once it's done, it's just the, the feeling you get. It's, just, it's like self-achievement or whatever it could be. It's just, but what they've said is that, if you did goal setting every day for a year, every day consistently, you achieve more in one year than you would in five years if you're constantly, if you're constantly doing what you're doing at the moment. 100%. I think setting goals, I, I do agree with you that setting goals, as long as they're achievable, mm. um, uh, is, is, is super important. And then, you know, enjoying, getting, uh, enjoying achieving those goals is equally important. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great to hear that you, you work on that same sort of, thesis as well so man i've really enjoyed our, our conversation today one probably last question i've got for you i know you're a busy man so you probably need to move on but the last question i would have for you is would be a way that would how would you how would you like to be what would you like to have your legacy be here at true alliance if, i guess if we could create the david smith award what would that represent for me i i want people to stop thinking in straight lines um you know, we talked about how tough the industry is. We we talked about, you know, the we've got great processes and systems in, in place. For me, the most exciting thing would be a board or, or, or to watch people actually develop their business in a completely new and unique um, way. And, you know, a few examples of that would be in speedo to get you know to get the schools and clubs um business up up and running or if you look at our uh nordica brand is to not our nordica brand our rockport brand is to sort of partner with a potentially partner with a menswear retailer to be their shoe offering mm. um or uh, you know there's so many opportunities out there but if we continue to think <clears throat> if we continue to think in straight lines, uh, 
I just think there's way too much competition and we're always going to be beat on price. We're always going to be beat on you know, those factors. So my, what I've done throughout my career and the reason that I've been successful, I believe, is that I don't think in straight lines. Mm. I come at things and, and talk to Graham, um, Graham about that. You know, he laughs at the way that I come, I approach things. But I mm. actually encourage everybody to, to stop thinking in straight lines. Take some time so that you, you can actually see the wood for the trees. We're so busy in our day-to-day -day lives that all we do is do the same shit over and over again. Mm. I'd, like you, I'd like everybody to start thinking laterally. And it's not about, it's not actually that cliche about thinking outside the box. It's, it's actually more a different way to get there. Um, because there are so many other ways to skin that cat in business. So, yeah, that would so be, right. I think that would be what I would like to see. And I think it's particularly timely in, in the current and market we're in. It's tough out there. There's a lot of competition. Consumers um, are, you know, tightening their belts. Consumers are tightening their belts. We have got to think of new and innovative and exciting ways of getting them to part with their money. And Absolutely right. And I think what we also get caught up in is the is past and history. Well, you know, people's comment, oh, well, it used to work like that, so let's keep doing that. Where in fact, totally. times are changing so quick now. I mean, online, social media, net, you know, like that kind of platform as well is completely just blowing up. I, I take it an example as. Um, people that hesitant to go on Facebook. I've got, I must admit, my mother-in-law is very, very hesitant to go on Facebook because she's a believer. And in the past, people would just sit down and talk to one another. But in fact, and when they say the kids these days, they never talk to one another. They always, they're always on their phones, always, mm. you know, on social media. But in fact, that's, that's the way it's communicating. I don't think the kids these days can stop communicating. They communicate more than what we did, you know, 20 odd years ago. And so I think sometimes we think like that with business as well. Yeah, is that we sometimes get caught up on what we did in the past to think about okay, what's happening in the future and what can we be doing differently in the future? And that's that we... that's the success of True Alliance. We have constantly, constantly reinvented ourselves. You know, mm. I said in a in a town hall a while ago, and I, and I believe it passionately, is that change is the new norm. If you don't like change you may as well get off the bus. Mm. Change, change is constant. Change is what we have to do. If you think about um, the, cha the change, you know, you're talking about social media. If you think about the change in technology, the speed of the change in technology, if you think of the speed of the change of, of absolutely everything in our lives, if we continue to do what we've always done, it's, we're never going to be successful. We have got to think laterally. And I, encourage everybody out there um, to actually come to work every day, question what they're doing, look at their goals that they've set and say, you know what, maybe there's a different way to get to that goal. Mm. And then sit down with your manager and brainstorm what those ideas are to try to get that new initiative up and running. And, you know, True Alliance will invest in new initiatives and new ideas uh, because over the years, that's what's made us well. So, yeah, I, I think if I'm going to leave uh, a legacy when I leave True Alliance, it would be that we have a bunch of managers and, and team members who have the freedom, the autonomy, the authority 
and the willingness and the passion to think laterally to get to their goals. That, that would be, that would make me a happy man. And that is a perfect way to end up the podcast. Thank you so much again, mate. Some great words, some great advice. I've truly, really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned so much, not only about yourself, but about the way that the True Alliance business is looking at, at particularly the retail space and the way forward. But more importantly, how we can be together as a team, I guess, innovators within our trade. Have to be innovators or you'll die if we we don't. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is, you know, you work for Speedo. It's more important in Speedo than any other brand in our business because you have a very mature, a very large business. And, you know, where are you going to get the, 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 the new revenue? Where are you going to get the new sales from? Mm. You can't keep pushing against that tide. You've got to look for, for new ways of driving business. And, you know, the stuff that you're doing, particularly related to, helping the retailers run their business. You know, that's a great initiative mm. and something that no one else is, is doing. You know, going after schools and teams and universities, that's another amazing way of, of driving new and, and different revenue. So those are the things that excite me and get me passionate and, and why every morning I get up, I go to the gym and I'm coming to this office with a smile on my face because I know that there's going to be a new exciting opportunity that we're going to be able to work on in the next couple of years. Fantastic. I love it. Thanks, David. Appreciate your time, mate. Thanks, Stacey. Have a great day, mate. You too. I'll talk soon. Cheers. Yeah, bye. 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 Thanks again, guys, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast just as much as I did. David spoke about a bunch of great things and a few things I'm going to take away with me I'm going to use on a daily basis. In particular, something like, how can I be better than I was yesterday? And how can I do things differently? But more importantly, how can we be better than our competition? Something to think about. Anyway, thanks guys. I really appreciate taking the time to listen. Please let me know your feedback. Send me an email or even a WhatsApp message. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, bye.